on. I'm on three seats. Look, there goes the game. You're listening to a summer edition of Ithaca Now. WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Jordan Broking, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show, we'll be comparing Ithaca's pandemic landscape to that of Florida, a current hotspot, and hearing about a history podcast with a local flair. But up first, we're going to be getting a small taste of some WICB sports reporting. Correspondent Michael Memes spoke to Susan Bassett, Director of Intercollegiate Athletics and Recreational Sports at Ithaca College, about the recently announced suspension of intercollegiate sports amid the pandemic. I am joined by Susan Bassett, the Director of Intercollegiate Athletics and Recreational Sports at Ithaca College. Susan, how are you doing today? Well, hello, Michael. Thanks for having me on and doing great, enjoying the Nice hot summer weather, but it's been a busy time planning for what we can do to bring our athletes back, as you know. I'm sure it is. The big news that happened last week was Ithaca College canceled all their fall sports. What went into that? Maybe what was the final factor that caused the sports to end up being canceled for the fall? So let me clarify, and this is really important. We have suspended fall sport competition but we will still fully engage with our fall sport teams with practices and training and the same with winter and spring sports. So we have been working really intensively since May to take the guidance from the NCAA, the CDC, our local health department, uh, Reopening America, and all of the information that is current from the scientific community on the safe return to sport. And our team physician, Dr. Andy Getson, and our head athletic trainer, Mike Matheny, have been doing really an enormous amount of work to take all of those various pieces of information and guidelines and synthesize it into a working framework for us to be able to re-engage in athletics safely. So we really feel strongly that we're able to participate in training and practices internally. What drove the decision to suspend fall sport competition is the challenge of traveling to other schools or bringing other schools to our campus when we know there's going to be restrictions on travel and uh, bringing people to campus. So it came as a consensus decision with the Liberty League, which is our playing partner, our primary affiliation. And as you were watching, as we all watched the Division Three national landscape, conference after conference was announcing the cancellation of fall sport competition. Some say suspend, some say postpone to the spring. We are choosing the word suspend. I don't anticipate that that is suddenly going to change on October 1st, but our attitude and what the college has pursued has been a phased approach with the best 
available information and going step by step. So honestly, as we looked at the national landscape and we reconciled the ability to bring people to campus or travel against the restrictions that every one of our students will face when they return to campus, we just felt like athletics competition for the fall sports was really not advisable, irresponsible at this point. So they are officially suspended. You mentioned how some schools are framing this as a possible postponement till the spring. So is there a possibility that these fall sports like football, like soccer, like any sport will have competition in the winter season or the spring season? Yes. So there has been a lot of discussion and we believe that we're we're going to hear something from the NCAA soon that might provide a framework to engage in spring sport competition, or I'm sorry, bring the fall sports to the spring. We are going to keep our options open and monitor that. I have to be honest, I think it will be difficult for us because of the density on our uh, campus with the shared facilities and unfortunately our inclement weather to try to engage in all of our outdoor fall sports in the spring. But I would never say never. I could never have imagined that we'd be in the situation that we're in right now. Uh, And I think we owe it to our students and ourselves to just monitor and keep options open and make the best possible decision as circumstances evolve. You're listening to correspondent Michael Memes speak to Susan Bassett, Director of Intercollegiate Athletics and Recreational Sports at Ithaca College, about the recently announced suspension of intercollegiate sports. You also mentioned how teams will still be doing training and practices. Now, will that be exactly the same, or is it going to go to a more virtual approach, or different in terms of players allowed so that they can be socially distant? Right. It will definitely be very different than anything we have done. We will... Uh, wear masks except during the actual act of the training. Um, So we'll be socially distanced and in very small groups. Uh, Most of what we're going to do will be outside where there's a reduction in the transmission of the disease. So we're, we're modifying all of our approaches and protocols. It will be very different moving forward. I know that some professional athletes have used masks where it doesn't affect their ability to breathe at all while participating in athletic activity. Is there a possibility that Ithaca will be able to get those types of masks in the future for athletic competition? We will certainly uh, try. And honestly, everything has changed so quickly. It is evolving from even the testing And uh, one of the big components of what we will do is uh, daily symptom checks. So student athletes will have to complete a kind of a questionnaire on their, on an app on their phone every day before they're allowed to participate describing their uh, symptoms or lack of symptoms. And um, we're also going to have to come up with a process for contact tracing so we know who everybody has been with. But upon return, 
every Ithaca College employee and student will be uh, tested for COVID. And if you test negative, you will then be able to move into what we're calling phase two of a, a re-engagement of athletics, which will be a very gradual re-socialization process. Now, how does this all affect club sports like rugby, which Ithaca is very good at, as well as intramural sports? We do expect to engage our programming for club sports and intramurals. We had a club sport meeting with participants on Thursday night. Uh, we had about 75 students participate in the meeting, and we shared with them that our path forward will be similar as that of intercollegiate athletics, where there will be no external competition, but we will be working hard to help them through a phased resocialization plan so that they can engage in their activities as well. Um, the men's rugby coach, Anne-Marie Farrell, has shared with us that they're planning a no-contact rugby approach. Uh, so they're modifying their playing and practice rules. And so we will implement that for those sports. So it's, um, it's going to be a great deal of detail work and case by case. Every sport is a little bit different. But our focus and our priority is to determine a path forward for engagement in all of our physical activities, whether it be fitness, instructional programs, recreational programs, club sports, and intramurals. We're hoping to have a wide range of opportunities for our students to engage in when they return to campus. Now, the Liberty League, they canceled all competition and championships through December 31st. However, the winter season usually does start in around November, mid to late November. So if Ithaca is in a pretty good situation in terms of handling this, and it's not a lot of case in Topkins County, is it possible that winter sports will have competitions, but just not in conference? Yes. That, so um, that was articulated that way by design to allow each school the autonomy to arrange for non-conference competition if the situation would allow it or, you know, each school would allow it. As you know, we are... Um, going to return to remote instruction at Thanksgiving. So whether or not we would compete in November or December in our winter sports remains an open question. Now, if there is competition, will athletes be allowed to remain on campus? Or is it just going to kick everyone out no matter what? Well, so I don't know the answer to that question. And I'm sure that if there's a way for us to do it safely, the college generally has been very supportive of athletics. Uh, so we will have to see. And I, again, we're making our best judgments at each juncture to be able to do as much as we can possibly do, as long as it's safe and mitigates risk for our students, staff, and faculty in the campus community. When is the decision on 
how winter sports are going to proceed be made by either by Ithaca or the Liberty League? And I guess what factors or benchmarks are going to go into that decision? It will be um, similar to what we did in the fall sports. I am not going to rush a decision on this. Um, as you know, we were one of the last conferences to make this announcement. The Empire 8 announced sooner and so did the SUNYAC conference. We don't feel that there's any reason to rush this decision. And so I would assume that it will be, you know, probably not before September or possibly early September. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's easier to get to know than yes. So I'd rather wait and see if we can figure out a way to engage safely for those winter sports. Now the fall, the spring athletes, they had their seasons cut short, and I believe they got an extra season of eligibility due to it. Now, is that also going to happen with the fall athletes? Are they going to also get that extra year of ability, eligibility? And if so, how are they going to do that, especially people who are planning to graduate in the spring? So it, we're really waiting for the NCAA to come out. If they decide to cancel fall championships, it may be that people will get a a season of eligibility restored. But in the spring sport case, uh, keep in mind that they had already started competition. Um, in some cases had two or three games already. That's quite different than canceling a season or suspending competition before you even get started. So our fall sports student athletes have not used and will not use a season of eligibility. So there's really nothing to give back to them. You're listening to correspondent Michael Memes speak to Susan Bassett, Director of Intercollegiate Athletics and Recreational Sports at Ithaca College, about the recently announced suspension of intercollegiate sports. Now, if an athlete takes a leave of absence in the fall due to you know, no competition, maybe they just don't want to sacrifice that, especially if they will graduate in the spring, or if they're in one of those states where they can't travel to, to Ithaca College because the fact that there is a lack of facilities to use for that. Are they going to be able to participate in team activities or are they considered basically off the team during that time? So for with the college policy of not inviting students back who have a permanent residence in one of the restricted states, they would not be allowed to come to Ithaca and then participate in athletics until they're cleared by the college to be on campus. So that would mean their state came off the restricted advisory list or they had some, you know, I, I really don't know any other avenue for them to return, but they will not be allowed to participate in athletics as long as they're from a banned state. Now, if sports eventually do happen, which we kind of all hope it does in Ithaca College, are there going to be changes in media access as well as ban and player seating? And maybe how do you envision that? Well, I would say that we were already going down the path of no spectators at our events in if we were having fall sport competition. That was a Liberty League discussion, and it was highly likely that we would proceed without spectators at our competitions. I would expect that that would be the case for the year. When you look at professional sports doing the same thing, it would be hard to argue that we could 
have spectators. And in terms of media, I would, I guess we'll have to figure out what are considered essential personnel. I believe that we could have a limited number of media at our events to report and to broadcast, which I think would be really important given that we would be living in a virtual world. So uh, I would tell you, Michael, that if there's a way for us to do that safely, we would be very interested in uh, having our Ithaca College student media at our events. Now, what is going to be done to sanitize facilities that athletes are still allowed to use in the fall? So I don't anticipate that there's going to be a whole lot of indoor, quote-unquote, free recreation. I think most of what we're going to be able to do will have to be supervised. I think outdoors will be a little different. So, for example, if we use one of the varsity weight rooms for team training, we're reducing that capacity to one half or less. And it will only be opened and supervised by Vic Brown or someone from his staff. We're, I don't envision regular pickup basketball games or captain's practices that we would normally have early in the fall. Everything's going to have to be controlled and supervised and with a great deal of social distancing. I'm assuming the answer is yes, but our coaches still going to be paid fully despite the fact that there is going to be less or no athletic competition for them this season? Well, actually, um, yes, because uh, in many ways we're busier with this scenario. Obviously, not preparing for competition and traveling to a game or hosting a game does reduce the burden on them, but they are a very important element of the retention of our student-athletes and also the recruitment of our student athletes. So Michael, if you can imagine, we're going to be working in small groups and the academic day calendar, we expect to really make it difficult to get everyone together at the same time. So where you might've had a four or 4.30 p.m. traditional practice time, we may not be able to do that or for safety reasons want to get everyone together so I actually think the coaches are going to end up having to conduct multiple sessions of their practices rather than just one a day. And so um, they will be busy. But keep in mind, they teach in our activity classes. Uh, they're very important for the counseling of student athletes and helping people to adjust to college life, both their first year students and others. And so they, they serve many functions and wear many hats, and I think those will be important. I also would anticipate that some of our time and talent will be assigned to the supervision of facilities to make sure that whatever's going on inside them is safe and appropriate. So that's, uh, that's what our thinking is at this point, and... I'm, I'm hoping that that's the approach that we take. Well, thank you. And I, I do hope there are going to be sports in Ithaca College in the future. And fingers crossed for all that. And uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Well, Michael, I'll tell you what I say to our students and staff. We will be back.
There will be uh, athletics, intercollegiate athletics again, and bomber sports again. We don't know exactly when, but uh, when we are able to come back, we'll be ready to go and we will represent the college in the fine way that everyone knows and expects. That interview was co-produced by Clay Davis. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Jordan Broking. New York is no longer the hotspot, and while things may seem a bit more relaxing right now, that's definitely not the case for the rest of the country. Throughout the pandemic, most of our reporters are writing, recording, and producing the pieces you hear for WICB remotely. For example, I'm recording this right now from New Jersey. Correspondent Vinal Akori is in Florida right now, somewhere currently being heavily impacted by the pandemic, and this is the first of a multi-part series comparing Ithaca to what he sees in the current hotspot of Florida. In this package, I will discuss how COVID-19 has impacted Orlando, Florida. Then I will compare those experiences to how Ithaca is handling the ongoing pandemic alongside WICB News correspondent Celine Tutar. Our first of three categories is how COVID-19 impacts everyday life in Orlando, Florida. I shopped at Walmart last weekend here in Orlando, Florida. A lot of masks in sight, fortunately, with the occasional exception from college-age students, parents, their children, and even some of Walmart's own employees. I assume that some of them cannot wear a mask due to a medical condition. But that cannot be everybody who refuses to wear a mask here in Florida. My family rarely leaves the house, and when we do, then it's usually for groceries. On Facebook, some of my Florida residing friends make anti-COVID-19 posts. Some of them suggest that masks infringe on their personal liberties, that the government can't tell them to stay indoors, and Orlando has a governor who continues to downplay COVID-19 as of July 2020. Speaking of Governor DeSantis, our second part will focus on how COVID-19 has impacted education. I will be joined by Isabel Jacoby. She is a class of 2022 student majoring in neuropsychology and is on the pre-medical track at the University of Central Florida, known colloquially as UCF. It was kind of a hard transition in spring semester just because my classes are a little bit harder. They're science classes and higher level psychology classes. Fall semester is kind of something that worries me a little bit just because I'm taking physics and organic chemistry and a lab for physics and then a lab for chemistry and then some harder higher level psychology classes and those are now all online including the labs. This next semester will be really difficult just trying to manage going to all the lectures on Zoom instead of in person, not having access to in-person you know tutoring services and study groups. So it'll be interesting to see like how professors will help us to kind of transition and do those difficult classes in an online format. You know, they're not online professors um, and they weren't really trained too much about transitioning to classes online. So I think that was most difficult, but most of my professors were really understanding. Are they allowing you to go back to campus or do you have to do it remotely? So they're allowing people to go around campus as long as you're wearing a mask. There are certain classes that they're allowing to be in person. So those are usually like smaller courses. Usually seniors can take a lot of their courses um, in person if it's less than like 100 people in the class, I think they said. Um, And any buildings that you're going to in-person classes for will be at half capacity and you have to wear a mask there. 
However, all of mine are online. So I don't really see myself going onto campus too often unless I meet with like advisors or going to office hours for professors and stuff like that. So do you have any other concerns about doing remote classes for fall 2020? I think the biggest concern is just time management. Being on campus in general just helped me focus a little bit more. I'll be able to manage it just because of the way that this past spring semester has gone. I haven't really dropped any of my grades. So what have you noticed about Florida's response to COVID-19, both as a state in general and in terms of how they're handling education for fall 2020? I think we all know how drastically Florida has climbed in cases. And we're second in the nation for cases of positive coronavirus tests. I think it's a little bit crazy how our governor has handled the whole situation. He was one of the last governors to enforce stay-at-home orders um, and mandatory mask orders. And um, one of the first governors to open the state up pretty much and go into phase one. It's good that the way that universities are allowed to handle their own procedures and um, create their own plans. My mom's a substitute teacher. I know a few teachers in the public school system who are being forced to go back to school while most students won't even be impacted by coronavirus if they were tested positive. It really puts the teachers at risk and a lot of people are just pushing to go in person because everyone wants to go back to normal when it's really not um, a time to do that yet. Second wave is a big concern that I've heard a lot of people talk about, um, especially with the way that everything's going in Florida and the way that a lot of people just don't really care about, you know, wearing a mask and being safe and uh, keeping get-togethers below 10 people. It's just a little scary to think about, but hopefully um, schools will be really fast to act after a kid or a teacher or a staff member tests positive. Do you know anybody who's considering a gap semester due to the coronavirus pandemic? One of my friends has a friend who is doing a gap semester. They are not willing to sacrifice their GPA and like have to go through online classes for the last two semesters of their degree just because they're area that they're going into, which is, I think, uh, some biomedical field. That area is really competitive when they're looking for job applicants. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're taking a gap semester. I know other people that would take a gap semester just because they're not very good with like time management and they would much rather have in-person classes. And so do you have any words of advice to a potential student, whether they're from Florida or anywhere else? Do you have any words of encouragement for them during this unprecedented time in our education? Any position that you're in, it's very hard. It's a big change. And I think everybody is working really hard to make everything as easy um, as possible. And I think that you should just keep on trying to, um, you know, maintain a schedule at home maintain a routine, and focus on what you want your future to look like and try to reach that goal, even though we have all these things going on, it's going to be okay. After our interview, I found an article that ranks UCF as number two in confirmed coronavirus cases on a campus in the U.S. The University of Florida in Gainesville was ranked number five, 
and the University of South Florida in Tampa was ranked number seven. So that will undoubtedly be a concern for students at these institutions in fall 2020. You're listening to correspondent Vedant Akori, currently housed in Florida, on the different responses between Orlando and Ithaca. Our final category is tourism. I interviewed UCF students Katie Logue and Colin O'Neill. Katie is a hospitality management student and joined Universal Studios in 2018 because she's always been interested in working at theme parks. At Universal, she's an attraction attendant for One Fish, Two Fish, The Carousel, and If I Ran the Zoo. Colin is an entertainment student and has worked at Universal since last year. At Universal Studios, he's a ride attendant for Fast and Furious Supercharged, and aspires to become an actor post-college. I interviewed Katie and Colin about how COVID-19 has impacted Universal Studios. There's only six people allowed in the break room. Keeping your mask on 24-7, maintaining awareness and distance is uh, integral as well. Most of the water rides, you're allowed to take the mask off, but because ours doesn't get you as wet, you still have to keep the mask on, so it's a little harder enforcing to keep the masks on. But I think for the most part, Universal's done a pretty good job with the regulations. I mean, everyone has to wear a mask. Um, all the queues for every ride have lines that are spaced like six feet apart. They got rid of the single rider line, so they're not seating multiple groups together. Half the time, you'll probably have a whole car to yourself if you're riding. There aren't really any like ride rides that are closed, I believe. I think it's just mainly the play areas. Yeah, anything that like relies on people being up close and personal for an extended period of time, unsupervised for the most part. Some of the shows are closed. Um, I know Fear Factor is closed. Well, they closed that one permanently. Well, I don't know, that's just a rumor. Oh, well, I don't know. It's not confirmed. That. The horror makeup show, I think, is closed. Those are the main ones I can think of. I know some of the restaurants are closed. Has COVID-19 impacted Universal's traffic, both in tourists coming and also employees still coming? Uh, we're starting to get more and more tourists back a little bit at a time, but obviously uh, there's a lot of travel restrictions and such going on from state to state. For employees, I'd say most, most people want to go back. Depending on the venue, some people can't come back because their management doesn't have the like staffing budget for it. And so where do you see the future of tourism in Florida at places like Universal or just anywhere during this pandemic? I know you said that things are slowly reopening and people are slowly coming back, but do you think that can be sustained, especially since we have an expected second wave of coronavirus? I mean, I think a lot of people have already started coming back here just because Florida is honestly one of the few states you can do anything right now. I think both Disney, Universal, any of the theme parks, they've been doing a pretty good job with the regulations. And a lot of people have been saying they feel safer at the theme parks than they do at Publix, like the grocery store. And I mean, I don't know if this is something that can be sustained for long term, but it's something. It's better than where we were at before, where there was absolutely no money coming in. Do you have any words of encouragement for anybody who's working in tourism has been impacted by COVID, whether they can't come back or they're unable to come back or anybody who's just concerned about what's going on with the pandemic? It's important to remember that a lot of people really do miss traveling. So I think once things start getting a little more normal, I think people are going to be rushing to travel and and businesses like Universal or Disney or hotels or anything, they're 
going to start needing staffing again when the demand increases, which hopefully won't be too long from now. I would like to say they're not going to shut down again. I mean, it's always possible. Anything's possible these days. But um, I think everything will revive itself like gradually. You're listening to correspondent Vedant Akori, currently housed in Florida, on the different responses between Orlando and Ithaca. WICB News correspondent Celine Tutar joins us next. She's a rising senior at Ithaca College with a double major in politics and journalism. Celine has resided in Ithaca for two months during the pandemic, so I asked her about how Ithaca has handled the pandemic differently or similarly than Florida. My experience in Ithaca so far has been comforting in the sense that there aren't as many people here right now because most of the college students are not here. The locals are also very um, good at following the guidelines, I would say. Um, I've been taking the bus frequently almost every single day, and I felt very safe at the bus because masks are required and drivers enforce that. They're not mandatory when you're in public, but they're strongly strongly suggested. And if you're attending an event um, that is either um, held by the city or other organizations, um, they do have coordinators there to ensure social distancing and masks would be required at those events as well. I've frequented Wegmans and Walmart quite a few times. And again, they've been somewhat strict there as well. Sometimes, I guess I'll be walking down Hudson Street and someone wouldn't be wearing a mask because obviously it's somewhere that's not as crowded and as many people don't walk on the street, as more and more students return after the holiday weekend, especially, the numbers sort of started rising here in a scary rate. Um, We were down to one active case and I haven't actually been caught up, but I think we're at somewhat 30s right now, which is concerning um, given that it sort of coincides with the return of the students. Okay, and I want to move over to my education interview with Isabel Jacoby from UCF. So she said that it was a hard transition to online learning during spring 2020, and she might expect the same for fall 2020, as many of her colleagues will as well. So I was wondering if you've had the similar experience when transitioning to online learning in the spring, and if you have similar expectations in the fall, because I think both of you are planning to do fully online, fully remote classes. I think I sort of lucked out when it came to spring semester because I didn't have a lot of hands-on learning classes. They were more discussion-based. It was more for my politics classes and even for my journalism classes, they were more research-based. But I think the most challenging part for me was to not be able to just walk into my professor's office or just, you know, meet up my classmate for something. We had to be on different schedules. We were on different time zones. I will be actually um, doing a fully remote um, course load in my home country in Turkey, which gives me a seven hour difference. And I am taking a few more hands-on classes when it comes to my journalism major. I was comforted by the fact that the institutions and my specific departments made it clear to me that they were gonna uh, ensure that the students will be helped when it came to such circumstances. But I'm, I'm certainly a bit anxious about how all that will be navigated, given the fact that ICs offering a fully remote model as well as a hybrid model. And so how would you say Ithaca College responded to this whole remote learning thing? Do you think that they did a really good job at it in terms of professors and just this return to campus and being accommodating to the students and faculty? In terms of our faculty, they did a pretty good job for the spring semester. They were very accommodating. They were 
nice and you know was something that was fully new to them as well with my experience with um, coordinators for international students have been very helpful they've been very quick to respond to our messages when we were um, nervous about being home or the recent visa situations of course they uh, will always have criticisms as to what institutions could be doing better but with all that's given on hand i think the way that i see shines through is the fact that they are trying to be as accommodating as possible as you know ithaca college will not allow students from certain states with very high cases to return and so i was wondering if you know people who are considering a gap semester because of that or even before that, because I think Isabel said she knows a couple of people who are considering a gap semester. I think because I'm a rising senior and most of the, pe- the people I know are also rising seniors, I don't know a lot of people who are taking gap semester just because I think they just want to finish their college career off. But I am certain that, especially incoming first years uh, and even maybe transfer students are considering that situation if you're being forced to be remote, if you're not deciding that yourself. I think that would be a smart decision to make as well. Our other institution on Ithaca, Cornell University, is bringing all those students back. So I'm not really sure about what the reasoning behind IC is, other than the fact that they won't have enough rooms for um, ensuring that the students will be quarantined. But yeah, I, I don't really know how that's going to go for anybody. How do you think this is going to impact Ithaca as a city? I think the city and the local economy has fully taken a hit because they haven't had their regular student customers here. With all that 2020 is bringing, I don't think the economy or the city will pick up from where they are just when students come back because I think the students coming back could also lead to more shutdowns and more um, regulations and restrictions. So I think it's all going to depend on how the institutions are taking care of their own students and how the students will be responsible or not. I was a resident assistant on campus for two years. Um, No matter how many rules you set, some students are not just not going to follow it, even though those rules might be the best for their health. And so do you have any words of encouragement for any students in Ithaca College or just anywhere? Do you have any words of encouragement for them as this is a very unprecedented time for our education? Obviously, not all of us have the same privilege levels, but when it comes to dealing with something that's so uncertain. Everyone is on the same boat. For the students for IC, I would say it's always comforting to know that the professors will try to be as accommodating as possible. So there's no harm in trying. There's no harm in reaching out and asking for that help because I do believe that even the strictest professors will be uh, much more nicer when it comes to situations surrounding the pandemic. For WICB News, I'm Vedanta Kari. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Jordan Brokang. WICB News Director Jay Bradley spoke to Natalie Shoemaker, host of the podcast Artifacts. It tells the story of historical, well, artifacts. She works at the Robertson Museum in Binghamton and is an IC alum, so most of her topics cover pieces of history right here in the Southern Tier. Artifacts can be found wherever you get podcasts and at artifactspodcast.org. It has stood for more than a hundred years, this waist-height wooden box with a thick and sturdy build, and as far as boxes go, it's quite unremarkable to look at. But this story isn't about what this box appears to be, it's about what this box holds. Because at its top is a thin mouth that's wide enough to fit a piece of paper, and what it once held was the most remarkable moment for an entire generation. 
first ballots cast by women in the state of New York. Hi, I'm Nat, and this is Artifacts. What you just heard is something that's been giving me an escape during this, well, as the emails say, unprecedented time. Except it's not an escape far away, but instead, back in time. Artifacts is a podcast that, as its description says, explores the history of things left behind. Run by Natalie Shoemaker from the Roberson Museum in Binghamton, also an Ithaca College graduate, the podcast is turning museum exhibits and places into something that can be explored far deeper. I like to tie it back to something tangible um, where people can either visit or look into more because one thing that i love about going to museums in general is that it's always when you look at an exhibition it's not supposed to necessarily tell you the entire history of something it's supposed to give you just enough of the tip of the iceberg to be like this is interesting i want to know more i'm trying to give people enough um so that if they do want to visit or if they do want to go to the place or or experience it for themselves, then they have that option. Only just started last year, so far the podcast has taken listeners through the narratives behind train wrecks, abandoned asylums, and even a criminal's brain on display at Cornell, with almost all of the topics having a tie somewhere in upstate New York. I have this idea that I start in Binghamton and then maybe I expand outwards a little bit more. I want to keep it to things that I've been to, or at least have some connection to, whether it be through a book or an exhibition that I've I've recently seen. There's a lot there that I think is a little bit of maybe personal essay, like intermingled, because there, there's definitely a feeling behind some of the things. And I wanna make sure that comes across as honestly as possible. I don't think that I'm gonna necessarily be able to keep that up. <laughs> Um, but for now, um, I'd like to keep it to things that I've seen or things that people in the area can see. Being so exposed to local history at her museum job, she started researching the topic of her first episode, the Lackawanna train crash, and from there she wanted to try something new. I kind of wanted to find a new vehicle for storytelling. Um, I do get to storytell a lot in my current job, but it's specifically as, you know, a vehicle for the Roberson. Um, so I wanted to do something that was more in my own voice and not in the voice of an institution. And thus, Artifacts was born. <laughs> her ideas and research are powered by, as she says, her reading habit and local colleagues and partners like Broome County historian Roger Luther. So my work is, I, I have to say, is built on the backs of of people who are far smarter than me, who are um, who have done far more research than me, who are far wiser than me. But through her research, compiling, and getting used to the medium, Natalie says she's working towards improvement with each episode, getting closer and closer to what exactly she wants to convey with each topic. I'm still trying to find my voice um, in terms of what exactly I'm trying to say with each episode, um, what exactly I want the listener to come away with. It's I don't want to preach. I'd rather give people enough information and maybe provide enough poetry in the language um, 
to get a general feeling across. With local history, it can be difficult to dig everything up you can, but Natalie says it can be incredibly rich and fascinating despite that. And it can tell a pretty good story, too. You'll look at an object and you may not understand the breadth of its history and what it means. And for like these simple objects, you have to ask, like, why does this exist? Why is this still here? Who saved it? Um, why are we saving this and not the other thing? You can find artifacts wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify or Stitcher, and you can connect with the show on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at ArtifactsPod. For WICB News, I'm Jay Bradley. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud. And subscribe to Ithaca Now on your favorite podcast app to hear the show anywhere you'd like. And also subscribe to the latest here on Daily Newscast every weekday wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search WICB News Presents. For more updates throughout the week, follow us on social media. Search for WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Sam Ives, Programming Director Lou Barron, News Director Jay Bradley, and Correspondents Michael Memis, Vedant Akori, Celine Tudor, and Clay Davis. Thank you. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff, who hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We'll be back next week with another summer edition of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. on Sunday. I'm Jordan Broking, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.